please take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 9. And if you're saying there's a lot of words on the outline today, take heart. We're going to just deal with the first point. Now, this message deals with every single one of us. No one can say, well, that didn't really apply to me today. This applies to all of us because the message is entitled, How to Confess Our Sins. Daniel is a man in the Bible of whom nothing sinful is said. But Daniel was a man of like passion as you and me. He was a sinner. And Daniel here leads us to the throne of grace. He prizes holiness and he confesses his sin. And this is the way for victory in our Christian lives. The Christian life begins with the confession of sin and on, upon Christ. And the Christian life grows through confession of sin. Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. Let's read it together as we begin today. If you could read it out loud with me. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Let's pray. Father, please center our hearts in your word now. For those who are in our Zoom, I know it's difficult to concentrate, easy to be distracted. We pray that they'll just be able to put aside every other thought or activity just to sit down with their Bibles open as we have our Bibles open here. Help us all to just open up our hearts to your word tonight, today, and that you will convict us and draw us to yourself by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So during the days of King Darius, and this was the first year of Darius's reign, you have to connect Daniel chapter 9 with Daniel chapter 6, which sometimes, uh, frankly, I didn't really think about that much, but it's true. Daniel chapter 6, of course, is when Daniel became the president and people schemed against him because he was praying three times a day and he ended up where? He ended up in the lion's den. Why was Daniel so intent upon praying? He was brokenhearted because his nation was broken. Remember, God had said Israel would be in captivity for how many years? Seventy. And the date is given here, the first year of Darius. That's the 67th year of the captivity. So in three years, they were supposed to go back. But they were to meet certain conditions that they had not met. So Daniel was burdened and broken that the nation would truly repent because the time of their captivity was almost up, but they weren't ready to go back. So here on this chart, down here in the brown, or here, and I'm sorry, up here in the blue, is the captivity of Israel. Daniel has, makes this prayer and receives the vision of Daniel chapter 9 in 538. And they go out of the captivity fully by 536. They're actually returned and I believe that was the, they, they laid the foundation of the temple by then. But the first year of Cyrus, he decrees that Israel can go back. So Daniel is deeply burdened for God to work in a mighty way. But remember, Daniel's prayer, even in this chapter, came at a price. Now, we don't exactly know when he was thrown in the, in the den of lions in comparison to this prayer of Daniel chapter 9. It could have been before. It could have been after. But either way, 
Daniel was really burdened for prayer at this time to confess the sins of the nation because this 70-year period was almost up. And he was willing to pay a huge price in prayer by even being cast into the den of lions as he was praying three times a day during this time. Do we prize prayer like that? Are we willing to pay the price to pray? Are we prizing holiness as Daniel did? Dr. John Whitcomb, a great man of God now with the Lord, he said what made Daniel one of God's greatest saints was not his sinlessness, but his sensitivity to the true depth of his sin. Daniel knew himself a sinner, and he confesses his sin as such. And the, the, the reality is no matter how much we have sinned, and all of us have sinned, right, and come short of the glory of God, we know that. But God is gracious. God gives us the promise of forgiveness. And confession of sin is vital for the Christian life. Someone has said, you're as sick as your secrets. And when you read some of those Psalms of confession, like Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, where David teaches us and brings us into the confession of sin, he cries out sometimes and says, my bones are roaring all the day long. When I kept sin in, I mean, he felt haunted by a sin and he felt the guilt. You know what the guilt of sin is? It's a terrible thing to feel and experience the guilt of sin being haunted by your past, having vain regrets that, that keep you shackled from moving forward in life. But forgiveness sets us free from that so we can move past the guilt, move past the shackles and break loose and experience the grace of God. So let's learn how to confess our sins. And this morning, we just want to focus on this one point. We must learn the language of confession. And Daniel teaches us well. And it's as if he scours the entire vocabulary of repentance. And he piles up word after word. And he shares with us confession and how to confess our sins to God. Now remember, Daniel starts with I, verse 4, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. So Daniel started with himself. And then he moved to we, so he started with I, he moved to we, verse 5, we have sinned, and then he moves on to all, all the people of the land, in verse 6 it says, who sinned? We, which includes me, and all, that is everyone, from the, from the king down to the common person, all. Verse 6, what does it say in verse 7? All Israel that are near and afar off. Those who are in Israel, those who are scattered, all Israel. Also, in verse 11, he says, Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law. So let's look at the language of confession of sin. The first word that we come in contact with is in verse 5. And there's a number of them right there in verse 5 where he says, we have sinned. Now, this word sin is often defined, and you've probably heard it so. It means to miss the 
mark. Now, why is that? Why do people say sin means to miss the mark? Because in Judges chapter 20, verse 6, it talks about chosen men of Israel who could sling stones, and it says, and not miss. And there's the verse there. It's Judges chapter 20, verse 6, and not miss. That word miss is literally sin. So they wouldn't miss the mark. So there's a word picture. We have all missed the mark, the mark of God's holy character, the mark of God's perfect will, the mark of God's pure love. We haven't loved God as we should. We haven't done his will as we ought. We have not been as holy as he is holy, right? And we've all come short, right, of all these things. We have sinned. A lot of people think, well, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. We're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. You don't have to kill someone to be a guilty sinner. The Bible speaks about an evil heart of what? Remember what that word is in Hebrews chapter 3? It says we have an evil. They had an evil heart of unbelief. Do you know unbelief is evil and wicked? If you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a sin. You need to repent of that sin first of all and believe on Jesus that you're saved. But any form of unbelief against God is a sin. Now, what is Daniel doing in this passage? He is following the counsel of King Solomon when Solomon dedicated the temple. And now, of course, what's the temple? The temple is charred ruins. It's rubble back in Jerusalem. And Solomon had prayed when he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. You could turn there if you like, but it's, some of it is up on the screen. But I want to read a, a few more verses that are just up there. But 1 Kings chapter 8. This is what Solomon prayed at the temple dedication. He said, if they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy so that they carry them away captives into the land of the enemy far or near. In other words, this is exactly what's happened in Daniel's life. So Daniel is taking this counsel of Solomon. We have sinned. We have been taken into captivity. What must we do? Verse 47, yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whither they were carried captives, bethink means to come to your senses and return to the Lord. And this word bethink is actually translated repent and return in these two verses as I read them. It's the same word. If they shall bethink themselves in the land where they were carried captives, which is what Dan, where Daniel was, and repent. And make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captive, saying what? <clears throat> we have sinned. So Daniel is doing exactly what the word of God tells him to do. And have done perversely, have committed wickedness. And so return unto thee with all their heart and soul into the land. And pray unto thee toward their land. Then in verse 49 he says, and then hear thou their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive, in verse 50. So Daniel is doing what God has said to do. Confess his sins. The second word in this language of confession is the word iniquity. He says, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity. Now, what kind of picture is that? It's a picture of a 
a crooked road. And that's what the word iniquity means. And I actually want to challenge any parents who have children to write these words down and begin teaching them to your children. Teach your children how, yes, they are sinners. And through that, bring them to Jesus. Show them the gospel. No one will ever know how much they need Jesus until they realize how much of a sinner they are. We're crooked. Now, we call somebody who steals a crook because he is crooked. He's twisted. This word iniquity literally means to have twisted and distorted God's straight path. Sometimes you just need the truth and you'll say to somebody, give it to me straight, doctor. You don't want a doctor. If you have cancer, you don't want him to give you a crooked statement and beat around the bush. You want to hear it straight. Even if it's bad news, you need to know what it is. All of us have committed iniquity. We have been crooked. And we're living in a crooked and perverse world. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says to the Philippians that they were living in a crooked and perverse nation. And so we confess our sins. We say, Lord, I have committed iniquity. And we have committed iniquity. Our church and our city, our nation. Bring us to repentance, O Lord. A third word in this language of confession, sin, iniquity, we have done wickedly. Now, of course, there's a gavel coming down on the judge's desk. And what does the judge say when he pounds the gavel? You are guilty as charged. And we have done wickedly, Daniel is saying. We are guilty as charged. And we are worthy to be condemned. Daniel does not plead innocence. Now we're living in a world that is developing its own moral code. Some people even claim themselves to be social justice warriors. That's the new phrase, right? SJW. As if they are the be-all wisdom of righteousness of what's right and what's wrong. And to many in the world, Christians we're wrong just because we're Christians and we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But, beloved, God's word doesn't change. God's, God himself has the authority to define what sin is, what is justice, and what is injustice. So we need to always go to the Bible as our authority. We, God says, have done wickedly. We're all worthy to be condemned even where? Even to hell. We're that bad. I never thought I needed Jesus. Do you know why? As a boy growing up, I thought I didn't need Jesus because I didn't think I was a sinner. I was kind of told that in my church. You know, they even kind of said, oh, Matthew, Jesus died for you, but you're a good boy, Matthew. I was like, yeah, I am pretty good. You know, I don't hurt anybody. But I was a sinner. It wasn't until I realized I was a sinner guilty on my way to hell. That I, that's when I was saved. I needed Jesus. And so do we all. The next word of confession is we have rebelled. Again, we're only in verse 5. He says we have rebelled. And by the way, he repeats some of these words. For example, we have sinned. I didn't say this, but he says it also in verse 8. We have sinned. He says it in verse 11. We have sinned. And he ends the prayer of confession that confession part in verse 15 by saying we have sinned he says we have done wickedly he also concludes the 
this confession in verse 15 by saying we have sinned and done wickedly. So he repeats some of these words. But here he says we have rebelled. And this is also in verse number nine. We have rebelled against him. To rebel means to be disloyal, to defy God's authority. When I think of rebellion, you know what this picture represents? That picture shows forth the days of Moses and Aaron when a man led a rebellion against the priesthood and the earth swallowed them up. And who was that? That was Korah. They defied authority. But Daniel's not saying, Korah defied authority. He shouldn't have done that. No, Daniel's saying, I have defied authority. We have defied authority. We all have, haven't we? Let me ask you, for those of you who have people under you in one way or another, maybe as a parent, maybe a husband with a wife under your authority, maybe on your job you have people under your authority. Do you appreciate when people defy your authority and go against what you had even said? Do you appreciate that when people defy your authority? No, of course not. You might even be indignant about that. How could they not respect my words and how could they be so defiant? yet you have been defying against God. You have defied God's authority. So we need to be obedient to the Lord. Now, you would think that Israel, having gone into captivity, would have woken up. They would have repented. They would have said, oh, God, look what our sins have brought upon our nation. And when they went into captivity, that they would actually all have nationally turned back to God. Wouldn't you think that? Do you think that's what happened? No, it's not what happened. And here's a verse, and this this chapter proves it, but Ezekiel also proves it. God called Ezekiel to be a prophet when he was in the captivity. Ezekiel had been taken into captivity after Daniel. And look what God told Ezekiel. He said, son of man, I send you to the children of Israel. This is in their captivity. This is to those who are in captivity. He said, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me up until when? To this very day. So that just shows you how stubborn and defiant against God we all have a tendency to be. We have rebelled. And the next word of this confession is we have departed this is in verse 5 as well he says we have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and thy judgments that is your written commands that you have given to us verse 11 also he says we have departed there in verse 11 we have transgressed against thy law even by departing that they might not obey thy voice we have departed So what does this mean? This means that we have turned aside from his written and his spoken word. We have departed. We have gone aside. This is in Psalm 14. They are all gone aside. So there's not one of us who's gone aside. All of us have. And by the way, I'm pointing to you today, but guess what? Every preacher who points a finger at you has three pointing back at him. So don't worry. Everything I say to you today, I'm saying it to myself. Everything. Because I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same flesh as you, beloved. 
but we have departed. We have gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. Now, this is Psalm 14, but who does it sound like? There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Who quoted that? That would be Paul in Romans chapter 3. So he, Paul kind of took this word from the psalmist. We have all gone aside. We have all departed. Now, when it comes to living for God, three words, three. Talk is what? Cheap. Talk is cheap. Because Israel often said, oh, we're going to follow you, God. When Moses came down from and had the commandments at first, in, in Exodus chapter 24, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And what was the response of Israel? All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. That's, that's Exodus chapter 24. What happened in Exodus 32? <laughs> that was the golden calf. So they quickly turned aside. They quickly departed from God's word. Another example of that is when those golden words came forth from Joshua's mouth that are in Hallmark cards and in kitchens across the country. As for me and my house, we will serve. Oh, easy to say. <laughs> Talk is cheap. A lot of houses that have, we will serve the Lord as for me and my house. And they don't go to church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They don't live for God. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't seek God. They don't care that the lost are perishing and are on their way to hell. Maybe they get drunk on a Friday and then they're back in church on Sunday. So Joshua gave those beautiful words. And the people even said in verse 16, in response to what Joshua said, they said, God forbid that we shall forsake the Lord and serve other gods. The Lord our God, we will serve. His voice will we obey. But I, again, I say talk is real cheap. Because read the book of Judges. Did they do it? Did they follow through? No. I'm not saying it's easy. We're in this flesh and we're in the world and there's a devil, man. We're in a battle. We need to confess our sins every day. That's what I'm saying. We need to keep a short list with God. We need to be sensitive to sin. And we need to confess, God, I've departed from you. But the good news is, he's forgiving. And we'll see that as well. So we have departed. So right here, in this one verse 5, the language of confession, we've got, we have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We've twisted and distorted God's straight path. We've done wickedly. We're guilty and worthy to be condemned. We've rebelled. We've been disloyal and defied God's authority. We've departed. We've turned aside from his written word and spoken voice. And then next now in verse 6, now follow this along, please. And the point is we have been disobedient to God's voice. All of us have been disobedient to God's voice. Now look what he says in verse 6. Neither have we, and the key word here is hearkened, Unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now, that word hearken, mark it down, underline it, if you will, but skip down, please, to verse number 10. And in verse 10 is the same Hebrew word. And I'm going to give you this Hebrew word, and I don't know Hebrew, okay? So I'm not trying to impress you, but it's a, actually it's a Hebrew word you know. When, I, when I'm going to tell you this word, you'll say, oh, yeah, I know that word. 
But I'm not going to tell you yet what the word is, okay? But look at verse 10. He says, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Now, now put it together. The word hearken, which means what? What does hearken mean? What's another? What's a synonym? To listen. To listen. When you listen. Hearken. Listen. But the word obey is the same Hebrew word. So what does that tell you obedience is? Where does obedience really begin? With listening. Have you ever told your children something and they didn't do it? And you say, didn't you listen to me? Because <laughs> if they listened to you, they would have obeyed you. Well, they could have listened and said, no, nah, and been disobedient. But in effect, they didn't listen. They didn't, they, they didn't. It's as if they didn't listen. So listening and obedience are really closely connected in this original language. Now, here's the Hebrew word. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel. And it's Shema. Now, you've heard that, right? The Shema. What's the Shema? It's the great declaration of Israel that there is one God. The Shema. That's often, that's what the Jewish people call it. They, they took that first word here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the, the Jewish people call that the Shema. Because Shema means to hear. It means to listen. It means to obey. And Daniel is saying, we have not shama. <laughs> we have not heard you, listened to you, obeyed you. Now, let me ask you this question. I have this in your notes. The question is, and I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you want to hear God's voice? And if so, how do you hear it? Some of you, I don't want to hear God's voice. If God spoke to me, I would do what he said. I want to hear God's voice. Okay, you want to hear God's voice. How? Okay, now, in, the, in Daniel's day, how did people hear God's voice? To listen. Because they didn't. They heard it, but they didn't hear it. They didn't listen. They didn't obey. But how did God communicate them? With them, his word, for them to hear his voice. In verse 6, how? There was two ways in, back in that day. Because remember, the Bible wasn't complete, so revelation was ongoing. Daniel was even a prophet. We saw last week, Daniel was a prophet, but he read the Bible. He didn't use, well, I'm a prophet. I don't need to read the Bible. I'll just go into my closet and God will speak to me. No. God did speak to Daniel in visions and dreams. But Daniel read the Bible. And so how do we hear God? Through the spoken word of the prophets in verse 6. But then also verse number 10. He says, neither have we obeyed. And look what it says. What the voice of the Lord, our God, to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, and then transgress thy law that they might not obey thy voice. There it is again. Obey. Shema, thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us that is written in the law of, that is written in the law of Moses. So how does God speak to the people? Even back in the day when revelation is still going on, how did God speak to them? Through the what? The written word of God. Think of that. So do you want to hear God speak to you? How's it going to happen? You've got to open the Bible. Open up the Bible. And say, God, this is your word. Help me to listen to what you're saying. And speak to my heart. 
this is the only word of God in the world. These 66 books. God speaks to us through the word of God. Now, some of you might say, God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, do you hear him? Because this same word Shema is, is used by Daniel later on when he asked God to do what? Look at verse 17. Do you see the word Shema in verse 17? It's in verse 17, 18, and 19. What's the word Shema there? It's the word here. So who's hearing now? Who's, who's hearing in that verse? God. Daniel's saying, God, hear me. But first he had to confess that we didn't hear you. <laughs> so if we expect God to hear us, we've got to listen to him. So they had been disobedient. They didn't hear his voice. Let me ask you. What has your ear? Who has your ear? What are you listening to? Are you listening to the rappers? Are you listening to the musicians of this day? If that has your ear, you will not be able to hear the voice of God. You've got to turn, tune your voice to God's word and tune out sometimes all the noise of this world. When William Tyndale died, William Tyndale in the 1500s, you know, he was an incredible scholar. He knew eight languages. You know what would happen to me if I knew eight languages? My brain would explode. I can't imagine knowing two languages. I'm so stupid. I mean, eight languages. That guy was a genius, you know. He was the first one who ever put the English Bible in a translation using the original languages of Hebrew and Greek. And much of our King James Bible comes from Tyndale. When the King James translators came along after they killed Tyndale in the 1600s, they say our Bible is a large percentage was the foundation already laid by Tyndale. But you know what they did to this man in England? In good old England, they put him to a stake. They strangled him. But before they strangled him and killed him, he said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Because he wasn't hearing. They strangled him and killed him, but they weren't done with him. Then they burned him. They're on the stake. That's how much they despise this man of God. Can you imagine? Are we willing to stand alone? That was because they didn't want to hear the word of God. The next word of confession is, and the word in our King James Bible is confusion. In verse 7 and 8, he uses this word, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faith. So he confesses that they have confusion. Verse 8, O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of faith, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Now, what does this mean? Well, look at the picture. <laughs> it means being ashamed. It means being disgraced by disobedience when you've been caught. And you're disgraced, ashamed, confusion of face. You know, if you've sinned against God, it's a good thing to have this sense of shame and say, God, like the, like the publican who beat his breast and say, God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. Don't be like the Pharisees who say, oh, Lord, I'm so good. I'm so, I went to church today. I read my Bible. I fasted. You know, I'm so good. Nobody's as good as me, God. You know, that's pride. We need this sense of, a, a, a sense of sen, uh, sensitivity to sin. Now, why was he praying this prayer? Look carefully at these verses. Look at verse 7 and 8. Can you look there again with me? He says, Lord, righteousness belongs unto thee, but unto us confusion of face. As at this day, he says, as at this day. Now, why does he say, as at this day? That sense of shame lived with Daniel to that day. Why? Keep reading. He says, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel. And so he's saying, the whole nation, all of us should have a sense of disgrace. That are near, that are afar off. The ones who are here, the ones who are in Israel, the ones who are in captive in Egypt, wherever they've been taken, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them. Why? Because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. Because as Daniel prayed that day, Israel's past sins continued in their consequences. The temple was still a pile of charred stones. And the city was still reduced to rubble. And every day the temple was like that. It was a reminder that God had brought them into captivity and still they had not repented. Because if they had repented, they could have gone back. But notice, Daniel's not discouraged about confessing sins because he knows God is righteous in verse 7. And what is God full of in verse 9? What belongs to God in verse 9? Two things. What are they? Mercy and what? No, not forgiveness. It's not, it's not what it says. What does it say? Read the, verse, what, read the word carefully. Read the whole word. Mercies and what? Forgiveness sins. Huh. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> Why, does it, why didn't he just say forgiveness? Because God does even abundant. So that word in the original language, and the translators are bringing this out beautifully, it's intensive. The mercies, he, pl he plurals. The forgiveness is. It's intensive. It's abundant. It's, it's great. It's everlasting. It's, go it's ongoing. It's continuous. His mercy and his forgiveness are so great, in fact. The word mercy is a really tender word. The word mercy there is sometimes translated womb. Womb. What does that speak of? That speaks of God's deep affection that he has for his people. The same affection a mother has for her child when that child is where? In her womb. Now, I never had a child in my womb, so I didn't understand fully what that could have meant. So I ran out to the kitchen where I was studying, I said, Debbie, <laughs> when you had a baby in your womb and the baby was growing and you could feel them even as the baby was continuing to grow, you feel the movements and you could feel the rhythms of your child in the womb when they were awake and when they were asleep and moving about. Did you, were you drawn with a love and a compassion for that baby in your womb? I knew the answer. 
Mom's right. You love that baby in your womb. How unnatural it would be. And I did get, I got indignant at abortion, you know, because it's so unnatural. And it's brought so much division to our country. Really, it has. Because we love life. We honor the conception of a child and its beautiful growth in the womb. But this is how God describes his deep love for his people with mercies and forgivenesses. We are disgraced by our disobedience. If you've had an abortion, as I've said before, I'm not saying this so you feel a lifelong of shame and regret. Confess your sins. We have all sinned against God and done things that have caused us shame, but God cleanses us and we can get forgiveness and don't have to live with that guilt. Isn't that great that we could be free? The language of confession. The next word here is we have trespassed. And this is in verse 7. And it reminds us even of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us of our trespasses as we trespass against others. He says, because their trespasses that they have trespassed against thee. Now, here's what a trespass is. See if you could relate to this. We consciously and treacherously break our contract with God, break, our, break his word. And then we aggravate the crime by what? Covering up. Now, have you ever sinned against God and said, man, I don't want anybody to find out about that. I'm going to. Cover it up. Have you ever done? Don't raise your hand. Because guess what? Every single one of us would raise our hands. We're sinners. Now, you know who did this in the Bible? Who's that a picture of? He went in. He broke in. The walls fell down. And he said, man, look at that Gucci bag, that Pravda belt. Look at that Louis Vuitton shirt. Am I getting better? Okay. And Alex Mill. Okay, we'll throw Alex Mill in there, too. <laughs> Look, I have expert designer information right here on my car. <laughs> so that's what, what, what was his name? Who am I talking about? Aiken. Aiken. And you know what? He was found out. You know the story. And when he was found out, what happened to him and his family? Remember what, what happened to them? They were stoned. And the name of the valley where they were stoned, remember what it was called? It was called the Valley of Acor. And remember, do you know, I'm asking you too many questions, but I'm going to keep going. Do you remember what the Valley of Acor means? What does Acor mean? Do you know? It's not, it's not, a, it's not an acorn. It's Acor. And it means trouble. Trouble. So, again, parents, teach your children the deadly nature of sin. Because when you trespass against God, consciously, consciously, willfully break his word and then aggravate it by covering it up and don't confess it, you bring trouble into your life. There's forgiveness with God. The next word is transgressed. We have transgressed. Now, this is in verse 11. You can skip down there where he says, Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law. You know what? At least the good news is he doesn't single out you. <laughs> Sometimes we think there's nobody as bad as me. Oh, yeah, we're all just as bad as you. Okay? 
Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. But guess what? If all of us were honest with ourselves, that's how we all feel, right? So he says, we've all transgressed thy law. Now, this word is a very big word, transgress. It means to, well, the, the root idea of this word transgress has movement in it, movement. So do you see the picture I have here? I have a foundation. I have an immovable object, the Bible, the foundation. So that speaks of something that is immovable. So when you transgress, the idea is you move beyond what God has established as unmovable. You move against it. You move to break through it. You move to break it down even. You try to break down the immovable. You break through. You transgress it. You break out of it. You say, I don't want to be held in by that immovable rule or law of God. That's to transgress, to move outside of God's fixed, unmovable truth. And his truth is unmovable. His word is unbreakable. So truth is truth, right? doesn't matter when you live or where you go. Truth is truth. For example, the truth of the family, it's never going to change. Man might try to, man not try, man is trying, man is misdefining the family, trying to destroy the whole family structure as said in the Bible. But a family in God's word is when one man unites together with one woman and they become one flesh. That is God's standard. That is never going to change according to God's best for for society, for culture, and for our church. Now, people are going to try to change that. You know, people are actually saying today that men have babies because a woman can now, you know, identify as a man. So, therefore, not only women, you could say what you want, but according to the Bible, there's two genders. That's not going to change. I don't care what man says. Let's keep it simple. God made us male and female. He made us different, and it's women that have babies. It's never going to change. It's never going to change how a baby is brought into the world. Whatever man thinks he's going to do to mess everything up, it's fixed. So we have fixed, unmovable truth, and men try to break through it and break it down. Now listen, you know what a fixed truth is? Adultery is sin. Fornication is sin. So, well, everybody's doing fornication. Nobody waits anymore uh, before, to, get, to get married before they have an intimate relationship. Then they're breaking God's word. They're transgressing God against God. Fornication is a sexual relationship outside of the marriage. It's a sin. Now, I want you to go to one verse, and God really put this verse on my heart. It's in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 14. And we're almost going to be done. Not quite. We're getting there. But I know I see the clock. Don't worry. But in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 14, there's a verse here that really rebukes us as a people in America. Because when I say adultery and fornication, there's adultery in a lot of churches. It's been in our church. Fornication has been in our church. So I'm not just pointing fingers out there. I'm saying we need to get right with God. We need to say we have sinned. You know, one of the best ways to ruin your marriage is have premarital sex. It's one of the best ways to ruin your marriage. If you didn't, again, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm saying 
confess your sin and get right with God and he'll forgive you. You don't have to live with that guilt. But look at this verse, Proverbs 7.14. Who could read that? Who's got it? Proverbs 7.14. It says, this is what the strange woman who's flattering the, the foolish guy, she says to him, I have peace offerings with me. Oh, I'm religious. I went to church today. I have peace with God. I offered a sacrifice. I even have a peace offering. After we commit adultery, we go, we'll go and offer a peace offering together and have peace together. Have peace with God while we commit adultery. And, oh, yes, I have said my vows. I have committed myself to God. I am a sincere believer. I believe in God. Can you believe it? And right in the middle of adultery. But that's what happens. I was talking to someone recently, and they were praying about a pastor because he fell into sin and, and he lost his ministry. So, what I'm, I'm, again, I got three fingers like this. I'm saying, God, protect me. Protect our church. Protect our deacons. Protect our pastors. Protect every member of, our, of Heritage Baptist Church because we're under a, a tremendous temptation in this area. There's no doubt about it. But this person was telling me that this one man was praying with his arms lifted up. Oh, God, please help that man who committed adultery against his wife. The very next day it was found out he was sleeping with the piano player in the church and he was the pastor. So, so I mean, we could just like cover this thing up and say, I got peace with God. I go to church. I do my religious things. But we need to say, I have transgressed. The last thing under this language of confession is we have not turned from our iniquity back to God's truth. So go back to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 13. He says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. So again, written in the law of Moses, the curses in Deuteronomy 28. He says, it's come upon us. You know what God did? He did exactly what he said he was going to do. They couldn't blame God for anything. He did exactly what he said. He says, all this is written, all this evil has come upon us, yet may we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. So Daniel is deeply burdened to confess the sins of the nation because the people generally and corporately had not turned back to God. Okay, now, wake up for the last five minutes because I've said everything I've said. Uh, to say what I'm about to say. Do I have your attention for five minutes? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, please. This is the law of Moses. This is where Daniel is getting his old language from. This is why Daniel is praying this prayer, because he's been reading the books. He's been reading Jeremiah. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God makes a covenant with his people. If they go into captivity, what they're to do is in the law. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1, it says, and it shall come to pass, and mark that next word, what is it? When, okay, when, when all these things come upon you, that is the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. Do you, you see that? They've been driven into other, they're in captivity. This is where Daniel is. So when this happens, and you shall return unto the Lord thy God. And shall obey his voice. That's the exact language Daniel uses. Return, obey, shama, his voice. According to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children 
with all thine heart and with all thy soul. That is when you repent that. And what's the next word after that? What's the next word? After in verse three, that then. So when this happens, you do this, repent, then this will happen. The, the then never happened. The then is they'll go back to the land. Then the Lord your God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. Do you see why Daniel's burden? For 67 years they've been in captivity. But God now did say they would be in captivity for 70. But they still hadn't done this, verse 2. They still hadn't returned to God. And Daniel's saying, Lord, you said when this happens, this has to happen in order for the then to happen, for us to get out of here. Am I, do you understand? So Daniel's taking it upon himself, my friend. And so must we all. So it's a beautiful chapter, but I want to skip down in verse 11. Look at verse 11. He says, for this commandment which I command thee this day, it's not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. So what is he saying? Is he saying, he's saying, the Bible's crystal clear. There's some things like these commands are like, they're right in front of you, you know. You don't, need, you don't need an angel from heaven to come and explain it to you. It's crystal clear, he's saying. And verse 13, he says, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it? We don't understand this. It's too hard to understand. But the word is very nigh thee. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That you mayest do it, as he says, that you would do it. And so look at verse 19. So Dan, uh, Moses says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose what? Choose life, that both you and your seed may live. Okay, now, the last verse. Go to Romans chapter 10. Because... Paul picks up on this very same language, and he brings Jesus right to the point of it. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the great covenants, and his blood is the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 6, he says, But righteousness, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart. Now, here's the words. Here's the language from Deuteronomy 30 that we just read. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. In other words, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You're a guilty sinner and on your way to hell without Jesus Christ. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. You, you say, I already know that. This is the gospel. Exactly. You already know it. We don't need an angel to come and tell us the gospel. We can understand the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for my sins to keep me from hell. And he rose again. And if I call on him, I'll be saved. And that's what Paul is going to say here. He says, who sh or you don't have to say who shall descend into the deep. That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. You, in other words, you don't have to say, well, I want to see it for myself. No, you can see it because it is written. <laughs> it is written. And he says, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. It's in thy heart. That, that is the word of faith, which we preach. And verse 9, can you read it with me? It says, 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So how do we confess our sins? By confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where it begins. We need Jesus because all of us are sinners on our way to hell. We confess we're sinners. We confess that Jesus Christ is God, is Lord, who died for me and rose again. And then I'm saved. And as I continue to grow, I daily confess my sins to God. May God help us to grow in our faith. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you for your patience. Now you know why I just preached one point of this sermon. But it's an important point. We need to learn this language of confession. I challenge parents to begin the great task, not in just one day, but over the next years ahead, to teach your children how to confess their sins and lead them to Jesus Christ. Confess your sins here today too, my friend. If there's anyone in sin today of lying, don't say, well, it's just a white lie. No, it's a lie. You're lying against God. You're lying against a man. Repent. Turn from it. You say, well, I say God's name in vain, but everybody says, oh, my. And then, no, stop it. Stop saying God's name in vain. That's a sin. Stop your adultery. Stop your fornication. Repent. Confess it to God. Lord, we've done wickedly. We've rebelled and defied your authority. We've departed from your written and spoken word. We've been disobedient to your precious eternal voice. We're ashamed. Because we've trespassed against you. We've covered it up. We found trouble. Guilt. We've transgressed. But thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ who bore it all. Jesus Christ bore all of this for us. Think of it. I've laid a lot of words of sin upon you, but just think of it. They were all laid on Jesus. He took your rebellion and wickedness. Call upon him if you've never been saved. Call upon him now. You need Jesus Christ to be your Savior because you have no hope. In this life or the next without him, you'll have only trouble. Call upon him. And then let's continue to call upon him. Thank you, Lord, for Daniel, his example to us. God, cleanse us. Bless every family here. Bless the men to love their wives and be faithful to their wives. Bless the wives to love their husbands and be faithful to their husbands. Bless the singles to be faithful to you, O God. Protect our church from the sins of the flesh that wreck havoc in the body of Christ. Give us love. Give us joy. Give us your peace now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.